Blog Talk Radio. And we are so excited <clears throat> about today's show. Do excuse my voice today because I have a bit of a cold. We have some exciting things to share with you this morning. What an amazing week it's been. Back from France in one conference, Tommy Silverman last week with New Music Seminar, the show before that on climate change, and and youth in today with regard to the United Nations. We're headed out to the United Nations today to celebrate the 70th anniversary of the United Nations, the different events there, and it will deal with climate change and youth and so forth. So we are really, really excited to get into today's news. And before we go any further, we've got Mr. J. Logan on the line. Mr. Logan, how are you today? I am doing very, very well today. It's nice and sunny out here in San Francisco Bay Area, and um, we're ready for the sunshine. It's going to be very hot. <laughs> well, you know, I tell you, it's it's the weather has been strange here, Jay, but it's actually been workable. I mean, yesterday was actually a great day. You know, we truly en- enjoyed it. Well, you know, Jay, we don't have a lot of time today because we're going to have Kendall Minter on shortly, and we need to let you know who our guest is. Kendall Minter is an esteemed, I, I, like, I would like to say, I don't like to use words, um, you know, in a way that's name-dropping, Jay, but he has worked with some of the biggest people in the music industry. He has been a lawyer in this industry for many years. He understands the industry. He knows it well. He's on the Sound Exchange Board, which is really an advocacy for music artists as well as the labels. They're doing the Fair Play, Fair Act also situation that they're getting into to make sure that artists are paid for, you know, so many different things. So I'm really, really excited to have him come on. He'll be on with us shortly in about seven minutes. But, Jay, if you wouldn't mind to start us off with today's news. Oh, that's wonderful. Um, so the good news, Gail, is schools won't be shutting down in Chicago. Hmm. Who would ever think that we would get to a point where schools could be shut down because of the budget? Um, the bad news there in Chicago is the fact that they still haven't worked out <laughs> uh, monies to pay the teachers out in Chicago, you know, so the kids can be educated. Um, but the great news is the governor has already said, basically, um, we'll, we'll keep paying until we figure it out. So uh, Governor Bruce uh, Runner, uh, he approved a, a plan for education and, in Chicago, and um, so they'll have a general state aid payment plan for the schools, which is bravo, bravo, bravo. And um, but portions of the budget for the physical year, this starts July 1st, and um, it's still going down that – highway of uh, what do we fund, what don't we fund. So I'm I'm happy that Chicago is getting it together. Um, I hope they hurry up and find out how much money they're going to fund. Um, the approved budget bill, uh, they increased spending for kindergarten um, and through high school by $244 million and early childhood education funded by $25 million. So it looks like they're going to get it together, and it looks like they will have a school year. So bravo for Chicago. I just wanted to throw that out there. Um, the other news that we have, you know, it's uh, kind of funny. Um, <laughs> the United States government now are starting to use lasers. So now this tells us high tech is finally entering our realm where the government is going to use lasers to dismantle uh, you know, mines that have been laid out on the field. So they wouldn't have to send people out there to try to, you know, you know, disarm these mines. So they'll just shoot it with a laser, boom, boom, bang, and there you have it. And also it'll open up ways for airplanes to land on mine little 
fields where you have you need airplanes and helicopters to land. They can just use these lasers and clear out a path, and the lasers uh, will clear the path, and the plane will land. So they're working on that, and so now we have planes with lasers and um, troops with lasers. You know, so that's uh, we'll have to start a laser program after that. Um, last but not least, uh, well, not last. But one of the other things is Samsung has bragging about uh, their phones because they don't have to use cords to charge their phones. They have embedded charger systems inside the phone. You just sit it on a, a charger plate and your phone will charge. And so they're making fun of Apple that people have to walk around with all these headphones and cords and things and add-on accessories. So they have a big campaign against uh, Apple that Apple uses cords and we don't use as many. So that's going on. That's, that's going on with the ongoing war between Apple and Samsung, um, and that's in the news today. And, and last but not least, uh, since I'm talking about Apple, um, I wanted to talk about Apple's new um, streaming service. So Apple breaking news: Apple is paying just 0.002 Gale per stream during its free trial period which is one-fifth of a penny. So you, you, it takes five portions of a, of a penny to get you a penny for one stream. And I, 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 I kind of chopped it down to that. Uh, at first, they weren't going to give anything, but now they're going to give one-fifth of a penny. Woo-hoo, one-fifth of a penny for playing, playing uh, some of our artist songs. So as you see, the musician is not getting paid what he should be. Um, I remember the days, I used to complain about three cents. So now we worry, we worry about one-fifth of a penny. Um, that's not a good uh, – I don't think that's a good profit, Gail. Um, and then they say, well, when the streaming service catches on, they'll work out some more details. You know, But this is for the trial. So first for the trial, they weren't going to pay anything. So now they said, oh, we're going to pay something, and that is one-fifth of a penny, and which is 0.002. Um, and, um, you know, it's just it's kind of sad because, you know, people want to get their royalties when you write songs. You want to make more than that. So we'll see what happens with their new Beats uh, streaming service, and hopefully, you know, they can pay a little bit more to us uh, starving musicians out here, Gail. Mm, interesting. You know, you, you speak about this, Jay, and it's very interesting because, um, you know, uh, one of the things – that um, uh, the gentleman's name, I do forget, oh, Pharrell. Pharrell talked about this five to seven times streaming. I forgot how many times it was, and he only made $3,000. He said, you know, the Happy Song was so popular, and he only made $3,000. That was quite interesting to me, okay? Quite interesting. Right. You know? So it's just, go ahead, Jay, I'm sorry. Yeah, it's, 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 you know, it's, you're getting, the, the consumer is getting to listen to the song just as if he was listening to it on the radio. The radio stations have to pay more. Why doesn't the streaming service have to pay exactly the same amount? I even, you know, I even pay it half. But this is ridiculous. <laughs> One fifth of a penny? $3,000 for happy? That doesn't make him very happy. <laughs> All the work, you know, it costs thousands and thousands of dollars to record these songs and to hire all these musicians. You know, the record companies pay tons and tons of thousands of dollars, and that's not getting to in promotion. And then you only get one fifth of a penny when they play it. Hmm, something is not right there. <laughs> you know, we continue. <laughs> we continue. I mean, you know, yeah, with me and you in the studio, we spend hours. You know, a minimum of $50 an hour, if you spend, let's say, I'll be honest, the average song takes, you know, you got some songs that take eight hours, but then you got good songs that might take a month. So if you say a month for eight hours a day and you add that up, you know, it could be five, $6,000 just to get it recorded, let alone mastered and, and, and promoted and all this stuff. So, I mean, how is the industry, even the majors, the majors, oh, I forgot to tell you this, deal. so now the majors might have separate streaming royalty rates than indie record companies. So that means that the independent label, they will get this amount, and the majors will get that amount. I think uh, it's financialism. 
financialism. I mean, you you can't give this set of group this wealthy rate, and then because they're they're indie, and you're going to give that group of people that royalty rate. I think that's financialism. I think that's wrong, and that's what's going on throughout our country. Financialism. That's my new word. <laughs> so I just wanted to wow pop that in there. <laughs> wow. Wow. You know, I you know, I don't know what to say. Uh, I don't know what to say. I really don't. I, I hope that I hope these musicians and producers and, and and houses survive. I know they have to find different products, you know, tennis shoes, t-shirts, merchandising to survive. Now you can't just survive off of your music anymore unless you and and this and that's what it is now. So and it's great that we have our our, our guest coming up on our show because I know he has a lot of different uh, perspectives. So yes, he you does. can't make it. That's it. You can't make it as a musician, just that. You have to be that, this, uh, sell apples, you know, juggle, um, skateboard. You know, I mean, you got to do a lot of things right now, you know, to just Well, you know, the, also, uh, it's almost, it almost like it, it keeps you touring because today it's not like you can generate the income that you did at one time where you were generating sales. Merchandising is great, but the artist literally has to work even harder. You know what I mean? Literally hmm. even harder. So, it's it's not the way it used to be. I actually want to ask him, um, is it possible to, you know, what what is what is it? What, I don't even know. I, the word, it's not that I don't know what to say. It's that I'm at a loss for words. You know what I mean? Um, the new music seminar was amazing, but it's still coming down to the streaming, Jay. It really is. But, you know, I don't wow. want to keep it up. We went over a little time here, and Kendall Mentor is waiting. So, Jay, I, I really want to get started. Are you ready to bring him on? Yes, I am. Okay. Mr. Kendall Mentor is with us, audience on the show. Mr. Mentor, it is, I mean, you know, all we can say, it is an esteemed pleasure to have you on the show today. Greetings, greetings. It's always a pleasure to spend some time with you. How have you been doing? I'm doing fabulous. I wish I had caught you at the new music seminar. They said you were there, and I guess we missed each other. But in the meantime, I would love for you to meet my co-host here, Jay Logan, out of San Francisco. Jay, please meet Kendall Mentor. Hi, Mr. Mentor. It's such a pleasure having you today. Good to meet you. Jay, Jay, same here. And I've been listening to your dialogue, and I agree 400%. (laughs) Yes. Yes. So, you know, Kendall, it's so, this is so funny. We, we're going to, you know, we know this is going to go other places. So um, we do have questions for you, but we're going to, like, kind of get into a little bit more with you, if that's okay with you. Absolutely. So, let's go. Okay. Well, let's do this. Well, Kendall, we're going to ask a specific question, and we ask that you tailor your answers to those questions so that the guests don't get all the good stuff from you, Kendall, before the end of the show. Is that okay with you? That's fine. We'll spread it out. Okay, great. All right, so, Kendall, you know, one of the things that we do here is inspire youth, all right? It's not just you get on the show and you learn about, you know, the music industry, okay? We like Mm -hmm. to inspire youth with people such as yourself because there's so much that they can actually learn. And one of the things that, you know, we'd like to ask you is, you know, you've been in the music industry for a very long time. You've worked with some really major people. I'd like to go back, like, before, you know, even before high school, you know, like in those growing years when you were, like, six, seven, and eight, and when you look back now from where you stand now, Kendall, were you always a young man who loved music and saw yourself in the music industry in in some capacity? We'd love to know that. Well, actually, I've always loved music. Um, had a lot of music in the home because, in addition to being an educator, my mother was a classically trained singer and piano player as well. So we had music in the household. Not to mention, you know, Motown and everything else that was booming on the radio when I was growing up. So it's always been part of my life. Continues to be a part of my life on a daily basis, like I'm sure all of your listeners. Um, but I never really focused in on being in the music industry until um, I was in, I guess, uh, high school and college, really college. Um, and I was uh, on air doing the same kinds of things that you're doing right now from a college radio station and also a station in downtown Ithaca a community. So when I was a freshman, I started broadcasting and I started promoting concerts, and that really put me into the music industry, per se. 
Um, and then I kind of focused in on law, went to law school. And then when I came out, uh, while I worked for a corporation at night, I was working with uh, musicians and studios in the Washington, D.C. area. Wow, wow. that's interesting. That's, that's very interesting. So there you go. Wow. Um, Kendall, I want to ask you, where did you study law? Did it shape you? Uh, did it get you ready for today's industry? Because I want our youth to have an idea of what you did to get started in the music industry. Sure, sure. Um, I'm a native New Yorker, uh, born and raised in Queens, New York, went to school in Queens, New York, and then went to college in upstate New York and Ithaca, Cornell University, and I stayed there uh, for my law degree. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, while I was in law school, like I, while I was in college, really, I got very involved in concert promotion and uh, radio broadcasting as an announcer. Um, and there wasn't really anything that was given at either college or law school level that really talked about the music industry or the entertainment industry. The closest thing was in law school when I studied copyrights um, and also contracts, which really are the fabric of what we kind of do on a day-to-day basis to protect intellectual property. But the real hands-on was after I got out of school and really got into the uh, music community locally in Washington, D.C., and then started building a clientele when I moved back to um, New York City and joined an entertainment and uh, intellectual property and corporate law firm in New York. Wow. Well, you know, Kendall, one of the things I'd like to ask you is, you know, speaking of the school you went to for law, you know, there's, you know, there's a difference. You know, in that time, even though the real hands-on, I'm sorry, came when you came out of law school, the students coming out of today, well, we'd like to know what is the difference when you went to law school for, music in this, for the music industry and the difference in what students coming out today in law school in the music industry encounter. What has been your experience in dealing with this? Well, there are a lot more opportunities now. So folks that are really interested in pursuing a career in the music industry, whether as a performer or on the business side, there are colleges, there are institutes, there are even law schools that have uh, entertainment classes. Um, I've spoken and taught at a few. Um, But the real thing is to, if you're in high school or junior high school and you're looking towards going to college, look for a college that has an accredited music industry program and hopefully a degree in music um, because that's where the difference really comes in in terms of the level of exposure and information that you get at the college level. In law school, 98% of your courses are really going to be general law courses, and you'll have an opportunity to take maybe two or three courses that are specific to intellectual property and entertainment. Um, and then the real rubber meets the road comes when you graduate and go out into the work field, either as an intern or in a regular fully paid position. Wow. Wow. Um, Kendall, what do you love about the music industry? Um, I love the fact that it's global. It's truly international. I love the fact that it touches everybody because if you stop and think, what part of any day have you ever had, or let me just say, what day have you ever had in your life that you can remember where you have not been exposed to music somewhere, at home, wow. in the car, mm. in the mall, in the theaters, watching television, checking out a movie, going to a basketball, a football, a baseball game, hanging out in the streets and hearing the Jeeps blasting by with the music blaring. There's really nowhere, even an elevator with music, that you can go these days where you don't hear music. So music touches everybody's life, and I enjoy it because I'm in part uh, responsible behind the scenes, albeit, for creating music, creating legacies, and creating memories that go along with the music that people listen to. Wow. Mm. I, you know what? I love I love that. <laughs> You know, love, you, know, you know, there are there are commercials where you hear it's a fabric of our life, whatever it is that that product is. Well, as far as I'm concerned, music is a fabric of our life. Well, you know, it's so funny. One of our former guests uh, from South Africa, Timothy Webster, he said that himself. He said that um, 
China is the manufacturing capital of the world. Um, he said that uh, the states is the capitalists of the world. He said, but South Africa and the world, the music is the fabric and the heartbeat of the world. And I always mm-hmm. love, you know, that he said that. You know, and that brings me um, actually to my next uh, my next question uh, uh, to you, and that and, and that really is, you know, one of the things that we want to know from you, Kendall, not only, you know, your love of music, but now that, the, you know, now that, um, sorry, now that you've worked with many people in the industry, I mean, really some of the top people, and as I said, we hate name dropping, but you have worked with just about all the big names, if not all. And so we want to like, like to know, and our audience to know, especially you, what were the deals like before the streaming service got involved? This will lead us into your book. Sure, sure. Let's just dial it back maybe 10, 15 years ago, uh, even 20 years ago. Those were really, really good times all the way around. Those were party times. Those were times when the budgets were huge, when lots and lots of artists were being signed, when you might have had a minor hit and then you go back and you renegotiate for a million dollars, or you might have had a buzz in the streets and you get picked up and they pay you a half a million dollars. Um Folks are flying around, obviously, very lavishly on corporate jets and having big launch parties. and That was really a fun time, but those times are gone. That's history because the record companies are not making the money that they once were. And obviously, as you all know, and you've been talking about earlier, they're struggling for survival now because of the explosion of technology, which has led to the streaming services. So the deals today are nowhere near like the deals Uh, that we negotiated and entered into years ago. Now, mind you, the structure is still the same. An artist still signs an exclusive agreement for a specific number of albums, which could be as many as five or six. The artist gets a royalty rate. They'll get some negotiated advance. Um, The record company owns all the masters, and they cover the marketing and the promotion, and the artist goes out on the road to work and do what they've got to do. Today, you still have that same structure, but added to that structure today, you've got, ooh, we turned it up and got the police coming in. <laughs> um, Sorry about so, that. Oh, that's okay. So today you still have the same structural deals. The difference is since the record companies are losing money, they are now doing what we know as 360 deals. And the 360 deals basically provide that the record company will share in a financial percentage in all the ancillary revenue that an artist makes, such as touring, performing, book deals, film, television deals, um, sponsorships, merchandising. Um, Wherever they're making money, the record company is now sharing in that revenue stream. That never happened before, and the reason that they're doing that is because they need to make up for lost revenue based on the decline in physical and digital sales. And also they're investing, as you said, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars in the development of artists' careers, and they have to now smartly look to more broad uh, income streams to recapture their investment and make a profit for their shareholders. So it's the 360 deal. It's here to stay. It's been around for about the last dozen years, Um, but every single new artist will most definitely find it in their contract, and most mid-level artists that are renegotiating or entering into a new deal will also find it in theirs. The ones that are established, the A-level artists that are selling millions of records, they won't have to deal with it, but um, it is a new fixture and a permanent fixture in the entertainment industry from the contractual standpoint, and that's why I wrote the book that I did to demystify it. Um, to break it down so people understand what the 360 deal is, what it looks like, and more importantly, how to negotiate it when they're at the table. Wow. Um, what a deal. I miss the glory. I call those the glory years, those years we, we talked about previously. Those were the glory years where we were, you know, 20 million albums, 30 million albums, Michael Jackson, Thriller. Those were the days. Now we're to this. Thank you for the news, Kendall. I appreciate it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Now that the streaming services are involved, how are we as artists, uh, uh, how are the royalties differently paid out 
to different artists? The streaming service rates are still very much in a state of flux. Um, right now, they're on what we call a per-play rate for the most part. There is uh, negotiations that are underway as we're speaking right now to possibly modify that. Uh, there are, are negotiations and hearings that are going on in Capitol Hill that will address streaming rates and rights and royalties. But um, the other option from the per-play is basically where the services would pay the music owners, the record companies and the publishers, a percentage of their revenue. And therefore, it'll be the greater of X percent of the revenue or a specific fractional penny per play. Um, But right now, artists are not getting a lot of money, as you mentioned a little bit earlier, from the music streaming per play model because it's a fraction of one cent per play. So you've got to have a lot of uh, exposure before you really get a check of any significance. Even if you look at, you know, YouTube, yeah, you talk about a million views on YouTube, and a million views on YouTube is going to get you a check for less than a hundred bucks. So, it's not a financially viable model for artists to look to yet. But the fact that CD sales are still continuing to decline, digital sales now—when uh, I say digital, I mean downloads—now they're beginning to decline. Um, and streaming is on is on the rise. So streaming is where music consumption is, rather than pay a dollar twenty nine or ninety nine cents for people to buy a single on iTunes. They would prefer to pay you know four, nine, ten, twenty dollars a month and listen to all the music that's available on the service, like a Spotify, an iHeartRadio, a Tidal, a Pandora, um, all the multiple services that are available. That's what people have an option to really go for nowadays, and that's what the, the consumers are looking to do. So the dollar revenue that we used to see from the sale of music is not really happening anymore, and it doesn't look like it's going to happen anytime soon like it used to be. So what mm-hmm. artists really have to focus in on is the fact that music is no longer a end-all. At this point, music is a pathway. And the pathway is to branding yourself so that you'll get enough exposure so you can go out and work and make a decent income on the road. You can create some publishing revenues from the airplay and the sale and the use of your material so that you can create branding opportunities so that you might be able to sell some merchandise either directly or through a merchandising company so that maybe it'll land you into a television role, a film role, uh, you know, and you look at the successful models you know, the Nicki Minaj's, the Jay-Z's, the Chris Brown's, the Beyonce's, the Rihanna's, okay, well, they're making millions and millions and millions of dollars more now from non-music-related sources than they are from their music. And there's a reason for that. Those opportunities are huge once you've established yourself as a brand. So we're in the branding business today, and music is an integral part of making that happen, but you can't look at music as being the fat check that it used to be. Wow, what great information, Gil. Wow, I love it. Wow, you just gave everybody the meat. That's wonderful, Kendall. Thank you. Thank you. Well, you know, thank you, Kendall, so much because, you know, this is, Jay and I often talk about this, and this is really, you know, you actually answered my next question, but um, I'm going to frame it a little bit differently. Um, You know, we talked about uh, Pharrell. You know, I've been on this thing. Jay knows I talk about this every week because it, it does annoy me a little bit, and I, I can't lie about that. The fact that you have to, there's got to be so many plays because it's a fraction, literally, of a penny. That Pharrell owes mm-hmm. $3,000, according to Brian Stillis, Um $3,000 for happy. That's just unreal. We're talking about the Yeah, and, and, it's not, and it's not true. It, it's That's grossly distorted. Um, okay. I obviously can't disclose any specific information, but as a as a member of the board of Sound Exchange, I know how Sound Exchange functions, and I'm aware that when there is significant streaming, Pandora, XM Sirius, Spotify, iHeartRadio, all the radio stations that have webcasting.coms, those records, when they are playing the way they are with any successful record, literally 
result in tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars being paid 50% to the artist and 50% to the label. So that $3,000 figure that they're referencing might have been from one service, but it definitely wasn't his global paycheck. You can be sure of that. Oh, I know. It wasn't the global paycheck. They were just speaking to one. And they actually were speaking to, uh, I think it was five to 7,000 plays, I believe. And, mm-hmm. you know, which, which brings me to something else. And, and, and maybe, um, uh, Kendall, you can speak to this because you've already answered my next question, but we're, we're, we're going to go to your book. And you've written okay. about artist deals and more. Okay? Amazing yes. book. Um, I, Jay and I will definitely be getting a copy, sir. Because uh, Thank you. we know the information that you have is going to be amazing. One of the things that's come up that, you know, Kendall, you and I and Jay here, we're in tech as well as music and how it relates mm-hmm. to music. But one thing I've come across, because Jay and I also, as, as partners, we do tech outside of the music industry. And there's something yes. that I have not heard discussed, and I wanted to know if you know about it. There is Meerkat and Periscope, Okay. Periscope mm-hmm. is the online streaming for Twitter, and Meerkat is its competitor, okay? It mm-hmm. is, it, it's, a, it's a major issue because whereas on YouTube, you are able to um, stream, and there, you, know, uh, you guys have fought with YouTube enough that we're, dealing with the, you know, we're still dealing with the money issue, but at least it's starting mm-hmm. to come together. Periscope, yes. you can just stream live right there, and about 2,000 people from around the world, if not more, can come on and actually look at that that um, concert or whatever event or conference free, like it's mm-hmm. live, from someone's phone. And that yes. is, or someone's iPad. That's pretty deep. And my question to you is, how does this affect the royalty landscape, the publishing landscape? I asked someone about this in publishing. Oh, we haven't gotten to that. It's just a new thing. I said, no, it's not a new yeah. thing. First, it's here to stay. What are your thoughts mm-hmm. on that, and how, how is that going to be monetized? Well, that's the question. I wish I had an answer about how it's going to be monetized, but I can guarantee you that it will be monetized because at the end of the day, with the unification of the publishers and the music companies, the, the labels that own the sound recording copyright, they're not going to continue to stand by, and and they haven't been. They've been far from idle. They've been very proactive. As new services come on board and new services and technology as it evolves will continue to come on board, and the battle for the content creators and copyright holders is how to make sure that the use of their music is properly licensed and fully paid for, and therefore, once that's grappled and, and tackled successfully, the money will filter in pennies and drips and drabs, but it'll filter still nonetheless down to the artists, the producers, and all the other folks that feed off of the artist royalty. But right now, those services and new services that continue to seemingly spring up literally like every other week are under the microscope, and they are I won't say they're under attack, but they are under uh, negotiation posture to make sure that the rights are fully licensed and paid for. And it's, it's a continuing process. You can't sleep on it because the moment you do, more services will pop up. Look what happened uh, to, to Napster. When Napster got in, uh, in problems, Grokster came up, and Grokster turned into LimeWire. I mean, it's like roaches in the house. Once you get one in, you know the whole family is going to come in, and once the lights go up, everybody has a party. Right. Wow. Exa- exactly. And, 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 you know, my, Jeff, I can just say one thing on this. See, here's the thing. Meerkat is kind of a new thing unto itself, but it's, it's still very, very stationary, okay? Mm-hmm. But Periscope is here to stay. It's with Twitter. And right. that is going to but be very good. interesting. It, it, but it's, it's good that it's with Twitter because it's with Deep Pockets. It's also with the company that's going to have some, fiscal responsibility to its shareholders, and rather than get into lengthy, multimillion-dollar lawsuits, they're at the table negotiating to make sure those rights are harmonized. Right. Wow. Well, I, I, ho- I hope so, because Jay and, and Kendall, we just heard that this, I believe the CEO just resigned from Twitter because there's not enough earnings coming in. So this is going to be quite yeah. interesting. And, you know, so well, you know what? Art- a, a lot of the streaming services, if you look at Pandora, Pandora's not reporting a profit. 
you know, if you look at a number of the services, they're still not reporting profits. It doesn't mean that they're not making tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of dollars. They're just not reporting earnings profits at this point. But you can believe that they have significant and large revenue stream coming through for development, the payment of rights and royalties, and their operations. Got it. Well, th- thank you so, so much because it's going to be interesting to to get into that. So since you, you already answered my question, Mr. Minter, we had to come up with a new one there. Okay, so okay, stay, cool. on, <laughs> uh, <laughs> stay on to you. What? Uh, wow. Kind of almost like you need to, yeah, we need to, some kind of taxes on um, app app media apps. <laughs> so at least you can stay afloat. Um now, this is a question that me and Gail had a lot of youth that come up and they ask this question, and this is one of our important parts of the show here because I, I didn't know what to tell them, but I, they know you're coming on the show. Okay, so okay. Asked, the question was, the question was, what is sound exchange? What is that about? Is it, are we giving, am I trading MP3s with people or I'm changing song files? Uh, we don't know anything about this thing. What is sound, sound exchange and what is it about? Sure. Well, first, and and I'll give you a full description, but I would encourage you and all your listeners to just jot down and then go to and and look at the website itself, which tells you about the history, what it does, and how membership is allocated. But it's just www.soundexchange.com. I've been on a board and an artist representative member of the board for about the past seven years. And Sound Exchange basically has been around a little over 10 years. It was the uh, birth child of the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, which uh, brought sound recording rights, um, along with the Digital Rights and Performance Act, to sound recordings. Keep in mind, previously, when music was played on radio, the songwriters and the music publishers were paid through ASCAP, BMI, and CSAC domestically and affiliated societies around the world. With the new Millennium Copyright Act's passage, that similar right was passed on for digital plays on internet only, not yet on FM radio, but digital radio for record companies, which we call SRCO, Sound Recording Copyright Owners, and artists. So what Sound Exchange does, it has a statutory license that's governed by Congress and by statute, by negotiation, and by rate-setting proceedings. And what it basically does is it collects um, royalty payments from non-interactive digital streams. Okay, so who is that? That's Pandora. That's XM Sirius Satellite. That's Spotify. That's Tidal. That's iHeartRadio. That's www, you know, uh, xmfm.com, whatever radio stations have, uh, .com stream services. All of them pay royalties into SoundExchange. SoundExchange then takes and distributes those royalties, 50% of the artists and 50% of the record companies. Last year, that distribution was a little over $600 million and may very well stop just under a billion dollars this year. So it's a lot of money. And, you know, it's a new source of revenue for artists and for record companies. It is limited to just digital streaming, um, but there's legislation that's on Congress on Capitol Hill right now that we're fighting to have it passed, um, which will then expand that pool of income to include AM and FM radio, which we call terrestrial radio. They beat us back about six years ago. We tried to do the Performance Rights Act, but the National Association of Broadcasters put up a very strong fight, said we can't pay anything more to anybody, and they won, and the bill never got to a vote. Mm -hmm. But it's been reintroduced. There's a couple of bills, Fair Play, Fair Pay. Um, So there are two or three bills that are on Capitol Hill right now that are intended to compensate. Yes, I can hear you. We actually don't. We we don't we ask you don't go into the Fair Play Fair Act yet. That's our next okay, very good. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. But but suffice it to say, there is legislation to address that. The Sound Exchange is one of the organizations at the forefront of pushing that. But you know, it, it membership is free. So if you are an artist, you have to join Sound Exchange unless you want to leave a significant chunk of your money on the table, uncollected. And the same thing for independent record companies or even artists who are their own record companies. You join as a record company as well as an artist, and you get the 100% check. But there's so much money that's going to continue to be made through streaming that is a undeniable and formidable power.
pot of gold for anybody who's in the content creation and exploitation business. Wow. Well, I'm getting ready to go sign up now. <laughs> All right. Yes, yeah, got to do that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, you, you know, I'm going to, I'm definitely going to get into this. Um, you know, we were at the New Music Seminar, and one of your colleagues was talking about the Fair Play, Fair Act, okay? Yes. Um, I believe she's your global uh, advocacy person on it. And one of the questions I'd like all of our, you know, the people to know is, you know, the Fair Play, Fair Act, would you share it with our audience? Because this is an extremely important act that you and the board um, are, you know, um, advocating for. Sure, sure. The essence of the act is to basically create compensation for content creators such as artists and record companies who invest in music to be paid when their music is played on AM and FM radio. And a lot of people will be scratching their heads saying, I thought that was already done. But no, it's not done in about four countries around the world. It's the U.S., um, it's South Korea, it's Iraq and Iran. So that tells you what kind of company we keep when it comes to compensating content creators. And the only reason it hasn't been enacted yet is because the broadcast lobby, the National Association of Broadcasters, is so powerful on the Hill with the money that they spent to influence legislation that every time it comes up, they beat it back. But it's an opportunity for people to get behind it, to make sure that artists, content creators, content owners are compensated fairly, just like music publishers and songwriters, when their music is played on AM and FM radio. And that's really what it is. Wow. Well, you know, I, Jay, before you jump in here, I, um, you know, Kendall, we're not going to keep you too much longer, but I yeah. have a, a, a very uh, interesting question. I know Jay has some as well. My, I need to ask you something. You know, we talked about the music industry over time. You know, um, I wasn't mm-hmm. around six, 60 and 50 years ago, but I'd like, I'd like to ask you this, you know, Today, a music artist, and I, you know, Jay and I discuss this often, that a music artist today, a young person coming out of school, four-year degree, and master's degree, decides, you know, they've been classically trained, they want to become a music artist, okay? We come out of mm-hmm. school, if you have a scholarship, great. If you have very extremely wealthy parents, they've paid it off. You know, when I go to Ken for for the conference out there, I see that parents mm-hmm. have their, bo- their, their boats sitting out there in the Mediterranean yeah. to bring their Me children. Down. So ev- yeah. Exactly. So everyone is not in that exact position, okay? Right. To, yes. uh, to our students who still come from middle-class families and even the others who don't, you know, there's an issue of I go get my master's degree, I'm coming out with a student loan of 1500 to 2000 a month. I'm expected to buy, buy a house. And at the same time, I'm not making that much um, from the stream, from the streaming service, I think there's I think there's noise in the background. Sorry, um, I'm not. We're not making that much uh, as we see artists from the royalty side. So it keeps them mm-hmm. in a, a, a perpetual state of literally touring um, at right. the behest at the behest of not being able to where artists used to be able to tour for a period of time, be home with their family. It's now got them in a perpetual state of being on all the time. Whether it's social media, whether it's touring, whether it's merchandising, can an artist really, can someone really go to college, come out of it, even if they have a backup, you know, um, major, can they really sustain themselves in the music industry and make a really good living? Um, I would say at least 50% of them, yes. And I say only 50% because, you know, those are typically the odds of, you know, success and failure in the general population. Some people, you know, will never be able to get all of their bills paid on time just because of the realities that they have. Others will be very successful. So for the 50%, the way you do that and the roadmap to doing that is to be able to um, take whatever job that you can get that will get you into the game and up through the ranks. You may not come out of school and wind up landing the $50,000 a year gig. You may have to be an intern for six months or a year to get your foot in the door and meet people and then 
be in a position that when something opens up that pays decently, you're already there. If you're a musician and a performer, then you've got to start literally making contacts. You've got to network. You have to build an opportunity base of people that are already established that may have the opportunity to pass uh, a lead on to you when one becomes available for you to work, to go out on the road, to work in a studio, to be a backup musician, studio musician, a producer, a songwriter with a hit act. But it's a grind. There's no question about it. And I'm not sure that even at a master's degree these days um, to pursue a music career is really necessary. So it might just be an additional financial burden that you're putting on yourself. I would say get that uh, college degree, that, that the BA or BS, whatever it is, in terms of the degree that you're going to get to get you into music and get you out there. And then to go to work. Network. It's all about relationships and leveraging those relationships into paying opportunities. But I would definitely say the business is alive and well. Look at the technology sector, which is continuing to grow. Um, even the music portions of the technology sector have tremendous opportunities ahead. So you just have to be creative and you've got to be uh, perceptive to what's going on. And you have to be persistent and patient. Got it. Well, I actually have uh, two questions, Gil, but I'll wait till after you're done. But my first question, as a young artist uh, has came up to me and said, oh, I I just got a, uh, met somebody, and they're going to offer me a 360 deal. I want mm-hmm. you, is there anything, it, it's told me it was a standard contract. So I want mm-hmm. you to kind of talk about, a, is, there, is there such animal, and should these young people still look for legal representation? When they sign you, so two good questions, and the answer is yes. These days, a 360 deal is standard. But then keep in mind that a 360 deal is nothing but your typical garden variety record deal that we've had all these years, except that it's got new components to it, which could be included within the record contract, or it could be broken out into two or three or four additional contracts based on the area of streams of income. But the bottom line is yes, it's here to stay. And I tell anybody who's serious about pursuing a career in the music business to keep in mind there are two words to that. It's music and it's business. And you've got to take care of the business just as much as you take care of the music, which means having a team around you, a lawyer, later on an accountant, um, later on a manager as well as a you know someone who's going to book your shows on the talent agency side. But, yes, anytime you're going to sign a contract, you need to seek legal representation because that contract should be reviewed, explained to you, and negotiated to the best possible way. And and that's what we do as attorneys. That's why we set up our, our new website, which I encourage all of your listeners to go check out, which is www.askmusiclawyer.com. And in addition to being able to pick up uh, the book that we've been talking about, Understanding and Negotiating 360 Deals, your listeners will be able to see hot topics. The Hot Topics will talk about the Pharrell case. It'll talk about Tidal Wave, uh, the new uh, web service from Jay-Z. It'll also talk about the pending legislation that we just discussed. It'll talk about all kinds of different things because there are posts that we do several times a week to keep it current that just talk about what's of interest and what should people know about today, this week, this month in the music industry. And then we have an extensive global resource directory that's on the site that gives you information for ASCAP and BMI and CSAC and their affiliates around the world and the recording academy and all the other components of the music industry that people may say, how do I get in touch with this entity? It's probably listed on our resource directory. Um, so it's a lot of fun. And, you know, we have contracts and how-to guides. So I just suggest that people do their research. The web is a beautiful thing if you take advantage of it. Um, and there's a lot of information that's readily available at the click of a mouse. Well, I have a question for you, um, Kendall. Can you just say that for our audience one more time, the name of the site? Sure. Yes, the the site is located at www.askmusiclawyer.com. And and I also we're gonna we have just two more questions for you. Um, I also want you to let people know where they can find you. Yes. Um, uh, my direct email is camlaw, which is K-A-M-L-A-W, at AOL.com. 
And they can also find me on our website, AskMusicLawyer.com, or they can check us out on our Facebook site, which is Ask Music Lawyer, and they can friend us and like us and connect it into our community. We're on Twitter at Ask Music Lawyer 1. We're also on Instagram. So we're, we're, we're very, very easy to find and to contact. Okay, great. And um, one of the things, um, Kendall, you know, you know, just off of what Jay said, one of the things, you know, the 360 deals, okay, I have mm-hmm. I have a, a a love hate relationship with the 360 deal in any <laughs> in, in in any industry because at the end of the day the streaming services and and to all my friends who are in tech because I'm heavily in tech this mm-hmm. is no disrespect to them this is no disrespect to any service when we first started in music okay you know um, I've done some research let's go back to the nuts and bolts it was mm-hmm. the producer the songwriter the 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 artist, the lawyer, mm-hmm. the label, you know, the person mm-hmm. who books the, the books the talent, your hey, press yep, and, and the manager, yeah, exactly, your press and PR person, okay, your accountant, mm-hmm. and you know the music label and their their whole thing, okay, that structure is still in place, and I think, it, but it's not utilized as strong. We had another structure in place, and that was A and R. Mm-hmm. A&R used to be so strong. And uh, right. today, it's like you really have to develop yourself because everything is quick, fast, fast, fast. What is very yes. interesting to me is that you, I, I go to conferences in tech that says they tell the app, we're, the app makers and developers, we're losing the youth, so make it addictive. And youth mm-hmm. are actually getting more turned off, and they're actually going back to reality. Now, set the stage for what I just said. Now we have streaming services. You have to tour all the time. And we have something very interesting out now. It's called Oculus. Everyone knows that Oculus is the new goggles that are out that actually mm-hmm. um, connect with the video game and it's virtual reality, or you could use it by itself for virtual reality. At a, right. at a conference, they talked about how Zuckerberg, this company is only worth $10 million. He sunk four to five billion dollars into it, and even the owner said he didn't understand that. Mm-hmm. What do you see now? That's two part question here, and how we bring this together. Now that that was the old music industry, we got the 360 deals here, right? That involves yes. your endorsement deals, music industry, like music and the labels are getting trying to get a piece of everything in that. We have a deal mm-hmm. like virtual reality because music is going to start coming into virtual reality. Okay? Yes. Mm-hmm. How, okay, now we're not even talking about streaming. We're talking about virtual reality, okay? Right. How are you and the folks there in these 360 deals going to be able to quantify going into a virtual reality? It's a good question, and I wish I had an answer, but I really don't <laughs> because it's all new. Nobody knows. I mean, the labels don't even know. If they did, they wouldn't be scrambling the way they are right now, and they're the ones that own the content. So um, I'm not going to try to suppose that I've got the answer to that because I don't, and someone um, who's a tech head um, like a Zuckerberg is looking at this as being the next level of consumption, both because it's not limited to um, music. It's all videos. It'll be video games. It's anything that's audiovisual. And that's why, you know, the Apple eyewear and the Google glasses and all those kinds of things, you know, they're going to be just commonplace. But for me, I look at those as just being another delivery system, the same as, you know, we have mobile phones and devices and iPads and, you know, everything is mobile right now. I just see that as just another mobile device for the delivery of content. Well, now we can look at it as a delivery of content, yeah. Kendall, but can we also look at it as it is another cut? And because There's two ways to look at this. It's an mm-hmm. additive to the artist to have another stream of income. It, 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 does yes. it come down to how, how the deal is structured? Cause it, it, it could be structured as another additive or another chunk taken away, okay? And I wasn't necessarily looking for the answer from you, but, you know, uh, isn't it based on how the deal is structured? Am I incorrect here, oh, Kendall? No, no, no. But the, the reason I say it's just another delivery system is because now, like the iPad, like the iPhone, like the Samsung, those are just mobile devices. I just look at this as another mobile device for the delivery and the experience of content 
which will attach to it licenses, formal uh, arrangements and structure for how the content owners and providers get paid and compensated. So I look at it as being another new technology opportunity for income to be made and for fans to enjoy the content. Okay. I don't see it as a big bad wolf. Got it. And and last question, Jay, just my last one. Because every uh, absolute last one, because we only have, we each only have one more, but I have to ask this. In fact, Jay, this question is for both of you. What is every artist, producer, singer, songwriter, and everything, to you gentlemen, this question, I always say this, if they decided to, for one month, not deliver any music, don't do anything, okay? We have all these people coming into the industry, tech companies, you know, all of this stuff, but without producers and the artists and all of that, they would have nothing. What, Jay and Kendall, what would happen to this industry if they for one month decided to go on strike, every one of them? The reality from my perspective is not much. <laughs> and I, unfortunately, I say that because the content is already out there. It just means that there won't be any new content uploaded and available during that month of the strike, but there are already hundreds of millions of songs that are available on these catalogs through all these streaming services and to the radio stations and everybody else who's currently exploiting music, they'll just continue to exploit the catalog that they already have and they'll wait for folks to come back to work. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That, 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 that is what's going to happen. And plus, you would have to do it with the live musicians, Gail, because if you do it from that point of view and you just don't have live contests, yes, they will be able to replay all the old music, but they will not get any live venues, and the venues will start hurting. There'll be an outcry, so it could, it could right. hurt. It could damage. It could da- It actually could damage the whole industry where there isn't any industry. Basically, if they did that, but that's what happened. Yeah. The, the live musicians, the you know, they will have to just stop playing. You know, Beyonce, you know, Garth Brooks. We're just not going to play anymore. So, yeah. as that point, from the live point, yes, it will be very, very, very difficult. As far as that, that company will be hauling in more money because they will have the only content playing in the live world, living you know. So they will make money. Mm-hmm. People are going to go back and listen to Michael Jackson. They're going to go back and listen to Elvis Presley. They're going to go back. They're going to do that forever. Right. Yeah, but definitely. One question, one, one last question I had was, you just said something earlier about licenses. And, you know, me and Gail, we talked to a lot of young folks. They don't know what a license is. And what role does Harry's H? HFA, Harry Fox Play, in licenses and mechanical licenses and all these different licenses for our young folks. Well, let me answer that in two parts. First, a mechanical license is a license issued by a music publisher to a manufacturer or someone like a record company who is downloading and providing music for sale. And there's a statutory rate that by uh, negotiation and uh, by judges and tribunals, which in America basically is 9.1 cents. So the, the reality is what happens is every time a song is downloaded on iTunes, every time a CD is purchased, that particular song has a mechanical license attached to it of 9.1 cents unless it's negotiated to less. That's the mechanical license. Harry Fox is the largest American uh, clearinghouse for issuing on behalf of its publisher members those licenses to iTunes and to the download service providers and to the various record companies that want to release the music that's controlled by the publishers that they represent. That's what Harry Fox does. Bravo. <laughs> Great well, Kendall, cool. we thank you. Well, Kendall, we thank you so much for being on with us today. Our audience. My pleasure. <laughs> and, and what we want our audience to know, the reason why we took Kendall through all of these questions is you think this is only a drop of of this man's knowledge mm-hmm. of what he's, he's shared with us. We want you to go and support Kendall at Mentor and Associates and also uh, camlordall.com, but please support his new book, not for just him because he knows his stuff, but for yourself. So, Kendall, please tell us the name of your book, where they can get your book, um, and what site. Sure. Yes, the, the name of the book is Understanding and Negotiating 360 Ancillary Rights Deals. Um, it's available on Amazon and BarnesandNoble.com, but we'd prefer for folks to go directly to our website, which is AskMusicLawyer.com, 
And when they do that, they will actually get a personally autographed copy that comes from our office. Got it. Well, thank you so, so much. And My Kendall, pleasure. We hope, we hope that you come back again in a year or in sometime Definitely. this year and share what, you know, share, share more of your insights and, you know, what's the, what the industry's progressed. Kendall, any last words before Great. we leave about where you think the industry is going? Um, I think everything, when you look at the music industry, even though it might be in a state of confusion and flux right now, is in a growth mode because of new technology. And I just encourage all your listeners to not run away from it or be scared by it or perplexed by it. Do your homework, study, research, be diligent about it, and create a team of professionals around you that will help you execute whatever your business plan is and realize your visions, dreams, and goals. Thank you so much, and I've been blessed Thank to have you, Kendall on the show. He's known me Thank since you, I was Jay. a kid. Kendall's known me since We're I was both a kid. Kids. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank wow. you. <laughs> thank great. you. Have a good day, everyone. All right. You all have a great day. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.